Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Zach Goldberg. He's a Paulson policy analyst at the Manhattan Institute and recently earned his PhD in political science from Georgia State University. He's the author of a major new research report entitled The Rise of College-Educated Democrats that looks at the consequences of demographic change within the Democratic coalition. Zach, welcome. Brian, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, American politics has changed considerably since really the turn of, of the millennium, the beginning of the century. We've come a long way from the old stereotypes of the two parties when the Democratic Party was considered you know, the party of the common person and the GOP was the home of the wealthy and well-educated. Now, your report takes a close look at one of those transformations. The Democratic Party, you show, has become a party of educated white elites and non-college educated racial minorities. Yet its coalition of voters is on the cusp of being majority non-white. I wonder if there are tensions within those trends as you present them. Yeah, um, as, as you uh, eloquently summarized, uh, until roughly, well, even roughly until 2016, the largest constituencies within the Democratic Party or the majority constituencies, the largest majority was non-college educated whites and non-college educated non-whites. And like you probably, I grew up, uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm not that old, but I was old enough to live through the 90s. And I remember associating the Republican Party with the wealthy, the educated, the elites. Um, and uh, for decades, uh, you know, wealth, you know, income and education was positively associated with Republican self-identification. Um, now, uh, what's changed over time uh, and which is causing tension is that the two parties started adopting divergence. I'm, I'm kind of oversimplifying it here, but just in, a, in, in broad brush, the two parties started adopting divergent positions on um, especially social uh, issues. Uh, the previous Democratic Party, the Party of the Common Man, consisted of a lot of socially conservative working class whites. Um, and ultimately, as the parties are sending out these divergent signals, Republicans are starting to become more socially conservative, Democrats more socially liberal, educated uh, and non-educated whites start to uh, sort themselves accordingly into the two parties. So in the Democratic side, you kind of have, um, it starts bleeding on uh, uh, non-college educated whites, and it starts gaining college educated whites. Now. Because the rates of educational attainment of non-white Democrats is, um, and non-whites overall, excluding Asians, are relatively about half the rate of growth uh, as whites. Uh, and then you have this influx of educated whites into the party. Now you start to have a faster growing constituency of um, white Democrats, even though the share of white Democrats as the share of the, of the party as a whole is in decline. So you have a, on one hand, a, a very rapidly growing um, segment of educated whites in the party, and you have a much more slowly growing, uh, like I said, half the half the rate, uh, you know, a growing constituency of of college educated non-whites. So right now, the educated whites uh, and the non-college educated non-whites are now, uh, you know, they comprise the 
the largest majority within the party. And the tensions that you speak to, um, you know, which I guess are, are obvious to some, such as I'll just throw David Shore has been speaking uh, somewhat to this, is that, you know, college educated, uh, you know, uh, voters tend to be much more concerned about, uh, let's say, post-material or morally related issues like, you know, abortion, um, uh, climate change, uh, the LGBT or, you know, uh, sexual minorities. Uh, they're much more interested in these, uh, these post-material issues, whereas the uh, less educated are much more concerned about quality of life issues, practical issues. Uh, so there is a tension here uh, because educated voters tend to be much more politically engaged, much more politically sophisticated, have higher rates of turning out to vote, more likely to donate to political uh, ca campaigns and candidates, are much more likely to contact, pick up the phone and contact their representatives or go down to the office. They're much more motivated. So if you have this growing constituency of educated whites and you have a much smaller constituency of educated non-whites and there's still a very large constituency of non-educated non-whites, the balance of power is going to be tilted towards the faction within the party that is disproportionately comprised of the politically sophisticated, politically motivated and engaged, and that's the educated whites. Uh, so... While it is true that, uh, as you said, and as I mentioned in the article, that you know, whites as a share of the Democratic Party probably within the next 10 years are going to become a minority in the party, they're actually, relative to their size, you know, pound for pound, they're actually going to be even more influential than they've ever been before, per capita, so to speak. Their influence has shot up to the, to the point that there is now a disconnect between the declining uh, whites declining share of the Democratic Party as a whole and their share among the politically active and politically influential Democrats. Just to give you a very, very striking uh, example is that in uh, roughly uh, 1980, uh, whites comprised uh, about 80 percent of, of Democrats uh, and they were 90 percent, they comprised 90 percent of all uh, large donors to congressional uh, uh, Democratic candidates, the large donors being those that donate beyond um, $200, $200 or more. Um, and uh, so you would think that, okay, lots, you know, 40 years have passed since 1980. Surely the share, the white share of large donors or to Democratic uh, candidates has plummeted, or at least not plummeted, at least noticeably declined. And the truth is, is that it is not. The whites were 90% of the large donors in 1980, and in 2020, they're roughly 88%. There's barely any movement whatsoever. Now, how do, you, how do you explain that? Well, I think part of that is that even though the, their share of the party has declined, They've, they've kind of shed a lot of dead weight or a lot of, I don't know what, maybe dead weight is the wrong term to use. But what I mean is that they've switched, well, they have lost the less uh, educated. They have gained the more educated who tend to be much more politically active. Uh, so this is kind of serving to offset their, uh, their, you know, their diminishing weight within the party at large. So they are able to punch uh, above their weight. 
while other groups within the coalition are struggling to punch at their weight, let alone above it. Where, where Zach, do you see the, the uh, gaps in worldview between these, these different groups within the Democratic coalition uh, become the widest? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the widest gaps that I can uh, see right now, and, and some are, are relatively recent gaps, because, well, I guess this, this trend and this phenomenon is, is fairly recent as well. But we do see gaps, um, particularly when it comes to uh, the value or the emphasis placed on traditional family uh, values. Uh, you do see a very uh, significant, um, you know, widening gap that has grown significantly over the past 10 years. You also see uh, a widening gap on uh, the transgender issue, um, you know, with um, white Democrats more likely to say that, you know, uh, much more likely to say, uh, for example, that uh, people that, uh, you know, are transgender should be allowed to use the bathrooms that align with their own gender self-identification, whereas non-white Democrats aren't really as convinced that that's the best way to go. You also see an emerging gap in the data on the issue of uh, federal spending on uh, crime, uh, on resources invested for tackling crime. Uh, white Democrats, college-educated white Democrats are now significantly more likely to say that that funding should be uh, reduced. Um, and they're less likely to say that it should be increased relative to non-white Democrats. And that's one of the things actually um, explored in a, a previous, my first Manhattan Institute report was that gap in support for defunding the police, that racial gap within the Democratic Party, um, you know, for uh, defunding the police. Uh, and, uh, you know, that is one issue, uh, especially where, you know, it's, it's like they're two different parties. You know, there's two parties within the same party. Uh, on that issue. Um, and you also see on immigration as well. Uh, maybe the, the gap isn't as large as some of the others, but you definitely see a much greater uh, uh, enthusiasm uh, among white Democrats for higher levels of immigration, less concerns about the border security, uh, you know, relative to non-white Democrats. Now, I'm speaking at a broad brush here. Obviously, non-whites, it's a, you know, that is a very, very uh, it's misleading to say just, you know, it's a very catch-all, big catch-all term. But my point is, is that on the average, non-white groups, Hispanics, Blacks, um, actually, uh, you know, are concerned uh, more than relative to white Democrats. And I guess the, just to, I guess, um, home in on, 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 on some of the tension here, or some of the consequences, is that because white Democrats are much more politically engaged uh, those that are politically much more politically engaged have an advantage when it comes to setting the agenda of their parties and the candidates, the issues that they speak to. So essentially, uh, you know, LGBTQ within the Democratic Party, they're a small fraction of the party, for instance. But the, the amount of time that politicians speak to that issue is uh, uh, disproportionate to their actual share of the Democratic coalition. Let's put it that way. You know, I wonder if you could explore a little bit the flip side of your analysis. So, you know, in your report, you you don't see this kind of educational polarization reversing anytime soon. Um, you know, as as you see the Republican brand these days, it's it's probably too um, toxic to many college educated whites anyway for for the foreseeable future. But you know, what what about the GOP's uh, possibility of capturing 
alienated non-white voters by appealing to more kitchen table issues. We're starting to see that happen a little bit, right? Yes, yes. Uh, we did see, especially the last two election cycles, uh, we've seen uh, movement, um, you know, pretty unprecedented movement now, or at least by the last exit poll uh, uh, in the midterm elections, the share of non-whites that said they voted for a Republican uh, House candidate was the highest uh, proportion uh, on record going back to uh, 1980. So there are some encouraging signs, and there is a clear opportunity for the GOP. And just to, I I guess, um, uh, you know, temper expectations a little bit, I I don't think that you're going to see a massive exodus, uh, you know, like 40% of non-white Democrats leaving the Democratic Party. But um, that type of movement is not not necessary to swing an election. Even I, so I think that there is a electorally consequential subset of non-white Democrats that are open to changing, uh, you know, their, um, you know, their allegiances. Uh, And I think the the Republican Party has a real opportunity here, and it's also an opportunity that they can't afford to really miss, due because of uh, their steep losses among college-educated whites. Uh, They need to make up some of that ground uh, somehow. Uh, And uh, that's, you know, obviously you see a continuation of non-college-educated whites aligning with the Republican Party, but it starts to have to, uh, you know, dip into the uh, non-college educated non-whites as well. And, you know, I, I think the conditions are right for, um, for, for, for such a feat for, 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 for really taking, uh, uh, you know, uh, prying away some uh, non-white constituencies because truth is, is that Republicans, the average Republican in, in some ways, socioeconomically speaking, is more similar to a college, non-college educated white Democrat than is a white Democrat similar to a uh, you know, the uh, the college educated, uh, excuse me, non-college educated non-whites. So it's really going to come down to whether, as I say in, in closing in this up report, whether the Republican Party could credibly market itself as a saner alternative, a saner, socially conservative, economically moderate alternative to the Democratic Party. Um, now, there's somewhat tension in that. I, I mean, I still have some doubts whether they'll be able to, you know, the GOP will be able to capitalize on this shift. I I think one of the tensions within the Republican coalition is that, I mean, some of their bigger donors obviously uh, maybe not like economically moderate policies. Uh, So they're tugging uh, politicians in one direction while the, uh, you know, the voters or the, uh, those that are, you know, whose votes they need are pulling in another direction. So this is uh, this, there's definitely some tension, just like there's tension right now, growing tension in the Democratic Party. There are there's also some tension in the Republican Party that may interfere with its um, capacity for capitalizing on these trends. There's a new paper, um, Zach, by the political scientist Sam Zacker uh, about the polarization of the rich, and it observes that the you know, the Democratic coalition is is kind of shaped like a U in terms of its income levels so that the party does best among the uh, lowest and highest income quintiles in the country. And and Zacher goes on to argue that the recent turn of wealthy Americans to the Democrats is going to render it, render it harder for the party to advance a kind of 
uh, traditionally redistributionist economic agenda. So I, I wonder what your view is. Do, do you think the Democrats are going to struggle to impose, you know, punishing tax hikes on the wealthy to fund social services, which they claim to want? Or, you know, when it comes comes down to it, are college educated whites going to vote on the basis of their cultural priorities over their economic interests? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is it's kind of uh, conventional wisdom to expect that, you know, the wealthy uh, will um, vote according to their economic interests, which obviously, or at least traditionally, has meant, uh, you know, uh, lower taxation, uh, you know, keeping more of, of the wealth for themselves. And I, I, and I think this is especially uh, the, the case uh, of, among whites, um, is that though wealthy within the Democratic Party, um, they're not like, I guess, the wealthy that voted for uh, Republicans in, uh, let's say, the 1970s or 80s, in the sense that uh, I, I think, and, and I not just think, but there's other research uh, to suggest that uh, they are much more uh, likely to prioritize, uh, like I said, these post-material concerns. Um, so that obviously includes um, LGBT-related stuff. That includes uh, climate change. So I think if your greatest priority are these moral concerns, uh, you know, that kind of makes it easier for you to sacrifice a little bit economically for the attainment of your, uh, your moral uh, objectives. Um, and, I, and I think that, um, uh, and, and research does suggest that, uh, you know, donors to a Democratic Party, they tend to be very similar on economic matters to non-donors, uh, you know, I mean, actually a little bit more, more liberal even than, um, than non-donoring, uh, non-donating Democrats, where they are, 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 um, are significantly different, where the Gulf emerges is, is on these uh, socio-cultural uh, issues, especially about protectionism um, and whatnot. Um, and um, I think that's, where the real cleavage lies, uh, I, I think that um, you say it's it's like a, a U shape within the, you know, and, and I and I think that's really the opportunity is for the Republican Party is to get some of those non-whites who care about economics, don't really care that much, or or, or, or I guess of the same mind on, or similar mind of, to Republicans on the uh, the social cultural uh, stuff. Um, and, um, but to, I guess, a more direct answer to your question is, is I think that the, the wealthy in the democratic party are in some ways going to be, are going to behave differently than, you know, you might expect because of their prioritization of moral, uh, concerns and, and moral issues. Uh, if they see the, you know, inequality as a, as a moral issue, you know, that could encourage them to, you know, make some sacrifices. Um, now I know there that's, the joke, you know, liber limousine liberalism, they say one thing and, you know, they actually, you know, live and, and, and do another. But, you know, I think that's a stereotype that doesn't, you know, necessarily hold um, across the board. I do think that there are some, you know, privileged white Democrats that really want to be on the right side of things and that really care and that are willing to sacrifice some resources to get there. Uh, so, um that, that that's at least my uh, if I were to push back on the you know the conclusion of the paper that you cited, that's probably what I'd say is that um, you know 
the wealthier people, they tend to be more educated. More educated people tend to prioritize post-material concerns and care much more, be much more morally driven. Well, Zach, thank you very much. It's, it's a fascinating report. It's called The Rise of College-Educated Democrats. Uh, he, Zach has just uh, uh, published this through the Manhattan Institute. Don't, def- you know, don't forget to check out Zach Goldberg's work on the City Journal website, www.city-journal.org. We'll link to his, uh, his author page in the description so you can find his work there. You can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. And as always, if you like what you've heard on 10 Blocks, please give us a nice ratings on iTunes. Zach Goldberg, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Brian. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.